Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, for this time where we can come before you in this place to focus our hearts and our minds upon you in worship and praise. We thank you for filling this place and us with your presence. Father, as we look at your word this morning, will you open our hearts and our minds to your message that you have for each and every one of us? Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, that it will fill my words and give them your power, because without you, they are worthless. Father, you, we thank you for your Son, Jesus, and for the amazing grace that we receive through him. May your will be done in this time right now, in this service, and ultimately in our lives. We dedicate this time to you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So, this is the beginning of the new year, as we, as we said already. And people all over the world, it's at this time that they begin to look at their lives and to evaluate them. They ask questions like, do I look the way I want to look? Do I eat the way I should eat? Do I read enough? Do I watch too much TV? If you were me, my wife is probably saying, do you play too many video games? Do you spend enough time with the important people in your life? Do you exercise enough? The questions go on and on, and, and they're so predictable that even the marketing world has begun to hone in on them. They try to target those questions that they know you're asking the things that they know you're trying to improve on, and they try to provide you with wonderful answers and solutions for those questions. Yeah. That's the reason that if you ever wanted to join a gym, the month of January is the best time to do it. They're cheap. They're free almost. If you ever wanted to buy uh, a big exercise equipment, now is the time to do it because they know everybody is saying, I need to lose X amount of weight, right? That's also fitting that we just went through Thanksgiving and Christmas and it's just like, oh, so much treats and food. And Our kids asked last night, they said, can we have dessert after dinner? Like, do you know how much dessert you've eaten all month? <laughs> That's how I feel. Anyway, this information isn't new to us. We've all done it. How many of you have a New Year's resolution that you've, that you figured out and you've already planned for yourselves, right? I, I have some. The more poignant question is how many of you have already failed them and quit them, right? We're day five into it. Yeah. Just as well known and as commonplace as it is to make New Year's resolutions, it is just as commonly expected that you will quit them and fail them. It's just the way it is. I used to tell the teenagers that I would have in my youth group that even if you've already failed your New Year's resolution, that doesn't mean that you that you get to just go back to the same old ruts of your life that you for the rest of the year. It's not a, a once done thing. You don't just stop. My res, my my suggestion is that if you've already failed your New Year's resolution, resolution, make a new New Year's resolution. Because every day, technically, is a new year. It might not be a new year that starts on January 1st, 
but a year from today will have been a new year for you. So just start again, right? This sermon is not about New Year's resolutions. (laughs) It's not even about the new year specifically. But instead, it's going to be about the new you, which is often what our New Year's resolutions is about. How do we become what we think the new us should be? Today, we're going to be talking about the new you, but not the new you that you created by successfully accomplishing a resolution, but instead the one that is created by the power of God in you. So let's start at the beginning. In the beginning, when God created all things, he made humanity perfect. We were without flaw. Made for one purpose and one purpose alone, to be in intimate relationship with God the Father. God completely loved us so much that he gave us choice. The gift of choice, really. It's not our right, it's a gift. He gave it to us. For a while, the relationship was perfect, but eventually Adam and Eve were tempted to choose another God themselves. From that point on, we were cursed by sin, which corrupted our humanity. It distorted in the masterpiece that God had created in us. This continued throughout history until God took it upon himself to remedy our dilemma by coming to earth as Jesus Christ. He was born into our flawed world to live along us in our flawed lives, all the while teaching us and modeling for us what true humanity should look like, which is living in an intimate relationship with God the Father. When Jesus died on the cross, He took all the corruption and the sin of the entirety of the human race from the very beginning until the very end upon himself. That's from Adam, the very first person, to the very last person, which hasn't even been born yet. All of that distortion and dysfunction and, and corruption of sin, he took it all upon himself when he died and he destroyed it. And he paid the price for it. And this action, this action broke open the doors. It broke them wide open for us to be able to re-enter into that intimate relationship with God the Father. And we know this is true because it tells us so in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him... No, I know. The God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. See, look at that. Most most memorized verse in the world, and I just blew it. Woo! Success, winning today. Okay, let's start again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that who whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right there. That is the gospel. Every person who believes in Jesus Christ as his or her personal savior will be saved and we'll have eternal life in heaven. We could end right there and go home. Now you might be asking, okay, Pastor Sean, most of us know this already. This isn't new information to us. So what does this have to do with the new me? It has everything to do with it. 
because it is the very source. It is where the new you comes from. Because the first step is accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's crucial because without it, you're choosing to remain in the distortion and the dysfunction of a life that is ruled by sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 16-21 tells us, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. See, I mean, right there you can stop and you can see, because of that information we learned right there in John 3, 16, the way we view anyone in the world should be completely different. We should never see people from the way the world sees them, but through the way Christ sees them. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We, we see Christ differently, even. Paul did. Paul's explaining to the Corinthians, he used to see Christ differently. And now he sees him for who he truly was and is, which is the Son, the Savior. Therefore, if, any, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Right there. The new is here. That's the you. The new you. The new creation. All this is from God who reconciles us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to him in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, to be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, God used Christ to reconcile us back to him in relationship, which allows us to become the new creations through Christ, the new you. When we have Christ in our lives, our old selves have been crucified on the cross with Jesus. Everything that was wrong with us, the distortion of sin, it's already been crucified. And we now can be raised from the dead alongside Christ in the new life as new creations. Life with Christ in it should begin to look nothing like our old lives did. For some of us, the change will be dramatic. It'll be instantaneous. But for others, actually for most of us, it, it's a process that is continually, that is continually happen, happening. It, it's our choice to, to follow Christ's instructions. And Paul gives us instructions in Ephesians 4. 17 through 32. It's a long passage, but you got to be with me. I, I just couldn't cut out little pieces. I had, to, I had to include it all. Starting in... For some reason, I copied 20 in my, my sermon. So I'm going to read from the top there. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of your thinking. So Gentiles, that is a term for anybody who is not a Christian. So don't think the way the world used to think, the way the world does think. 
So anything that you used to view the world like is very much like what Second Corinthians said. It should start to change. They are darkened in their understanding and they are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so that as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Okay, we need to stop there and then we're going to continue. The world has chosen to live in ignorance. They don't know it yet because they're ignorant that there's a different life. They've chosen to give up the sensitivity of the spirit to indulge in sensuality. Now, when we hear that word, we're often thinking of like sexuality. But really, sensuality is anything that is fulfilling a desire of ours. Whatever your senses drive you to experience, that that might not be of God. They they choose that in every kind of impurity, it says. All right. Now, continuing in verse 20, which I now have in my, my sermon notes here. That, however it is in, it is not the way of life you have learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Everyone who has been stealing must no longer steal, but must work doing something useful with your own hands that you may, or that maybe may, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That it may be that it may benefit those who listen. I have to work on that one. Not that I'm like I have like a sailor's mouth or anything, but I have a tendency of sometimes being sarcastic, and it's not always uplifting, right? Anyway, a little personal confession there. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So the new you should look different than what the old you looked like. Not in appearance, but in mentality, in personality, in in temperament. The old you was distorted by sin. It was very self-centered very selfish. The new you is a new creation in Christ. And it is it is in every essence the opposite of what the old you was like. Now, it's a process to get there. And and it's okay 
that we fall. God understands. And he walks with us and he lifts us up and he says, hey, that's okay. Let's try again, right? It's a new year. Every day is a new year. If you fail, get up, start again, right? Paul is very blunt. He's straightforward in the way he lays it out for the Ephesians and for us. We are to put on the ways of God and Christ in our lives. We must live in a way that Christ lives, one full of compassion, love, kindness, forgiveness, and in relationship with God the Father in all things. It boils down really to the two greatest commandments that that Jesus gave us. Well, I mean, God gave it to us before Jesus gave it to us. He just he just boiled it down for us. In Matthew 22, um, verses 37 and 40, Jesus is replying to a, a Pharisee who asks him, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the greatest This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Did you know that the Jews have like 900 some laws that they try to hold to? It's like ridiculous. Ten commandments is a big list in my mind. 900 would be overwhelming for me. But they try to. They try to uphold the law. And really, there's Ten Commandments, and then all the other laws are how to try to, they're just things to try to help you fulfill the Ten. Right? So all of those laws are fulfilled in just two. Love God with all that you have. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, And if you do that, we're going to be living the way Christ did. Sounds so simple. Man, it's so hard. Okay, I can I'm starting to hear the gears turning in your minds. I'm starting to see that the dots are connecting, which is good. So this is the beginning of the new year. And it and it's a special time of the year when when we're all full of resolve and and determination to set goals and to and to strive to tackle them, right? For many of us, and this is me included here, we, as I've been talking, have already started to evaluate our relationship with God. We've, we're beginning to look at our relationships with other people, okay, and we're putting them into a scale, maybe. My relationship with God, maybe it's a four out of, out of five stars. Not doing bad, right? Maybe my relationship with so-and-so is a three out of five stars. And, and my relationship with that coworker, you know, that might be just a one and a half out of five stars. Not great. And, and, and it's natural for us to begin to already formulate plans on how we could maybe improve those relationships so that we can make sure that we are living the lives, the lives that God wants us to, living it in a way that Christ would, right? It's very natural for us to, you know, see what God might be wanting for us and to formulate a plan for it. But the problem with this process that we often find ourselves is that you and I, we are not Christ. News to you, right? You're not Christ. So there, there's no way that you can live the way that he did in your own strength or in your own plan. Remember last week? Lean not on your own understanding. 
but follow him and he'll make the path straight. We can only succeed at becoming the new us. The only way we can do it is with Christ in us. With his strength and and in the way that he would lead us. So the obvious question becomes, what is the correct way to become the new you? The very first step is absolutely the most important one, and that's to accept Jesus into your life as your one and only Savior. If you're here this morning and and you maybe have never made that decision in your life, or or maybe you did at some point, but you'd really like to just recommit yourself this morning to Jesus, I would encourage you to take take the next moment here to repeat after me in your own hearts as we pray this very simple prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus and for sending him to die on the cross for my sins. I thank you for being my Savior. I thank you, or I ask you to come in and to say and to live in my heart. Forgive me for the sin and the selfishness in my life. Thank you for making me a new creation this morning. Amen. Now, if you prayed that this morning, I I want to be the first to congratulate you on becoming a new creation this morning. You've taken the first step to being the real new you that God desires for you. Please make sure that at some point you tell someone that awesome news, whether it's someone here this morning or, or maybe it's an important person in your life. Now the next step is is something we talked about a little bit last week, and, and that's to surrender our will to God's will and to become dependent upon Him. You might be thinking, now that step sounds a lot easier said than it is done, and that's absolutely true. It is. It is, it is very challenging for us to do that, and this is the step most people get hung up on. Because we really like our own will. We really like our plans. We like the way we've set out what the next steps are going to be, right? That's why we make resolutions. We know we know what's good for us. It's often scary to think about laying our plans down or our wills down into the hands of God and seeing what he does with them. But I promise you that in those moments when you do it, small little plan you had blooms into this amazing thing that you could never imagine it could have become. Now, I believe that Jesus gave us a great picture of the way that we can accomplish this step in John chapter 15. Now, it's not going to be on the screen, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter because it's a big chapter, but I'll give you some the cliff notes, really. Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's talking about he's talking about the true vine. He refers to himself as the true vine. He says, "I am the true vine and you are the branches." Okay. What is it, what does that mean? He's referring to a grape plant. Did you know that a grape plant I mean, we've all driven past vineyards. We've seen them along the roads as you're going wherever you drive through in this area. There's a lot more vineyards here than I kind of expected to find. 
we, we've seen them, right? Rows and rows of grapes all hung on their trellises. I would never have called that a vine. It looks like a little tree to me. So the vine is the trunk. It, it's, it's what is referred to, it's what the trunk is referred to. It's, it's the main thing that brings, it's the source of all the power and the nutrients and, and the life that comes from the roots into the branches, which is the parts that are up on the trellis. Okay. And it's the thing that allows the branches to produce the grapes. So if the, if the branches want or have any hope of producing fruit, they must depend on the vine to bring them what they need to do that. They have to surrender their will to the vine's will because outside of the vine, they have no hope. Are you starting to see the picture for us? They have no other outlet to get what they need to produce true fruit. Now, we are the branches. We are connected to Jesus, who is our vine. And without him, we are distorted and unable to produce anything. In the parable, uh, Jesus says that the, the gardener comes along and he just cuts those branches off to be burned in a pile because they don't produce anything. However, if we remain connected to him as a branch is connected to the vine, then we will receive all the resources we need to grow and to mature and to produce the fruit that Christ wants us to produce. We must be dependent on Christ for everything. Now, the picture Jesus portrays in chapter 15 makes it very clear that our lives will not be perfect right from the beginning. But it often re requires some pruning. He, he talks about, as I said, the gardener. And he says God, the Father, is the gardener. And he comes around and he prunes off the branches or the pieces of the branches that are not producing fruit. And one of the ways that is often interpreted, this passage is often interpreted, is that those Christians who do not submit or who do not become dependent on Christ, that they'll be completely cut off from the vine. And, and that is true. It's not an in, incorrect interpretation. Okay, If we choose to remain in our distortion, in our sin, then he will remove the branch. But there's another way to look at this, and that maybe there's only a part of the branch that isn't producing fruit. And maybe that part of the branch needs to be pruned off, needs to be clipped, so that it can begin to produce fruit again. You see, it's important that you understand that with grapes, Fruit only is produced on new growth. So the branch that's been there over a season will not produce new grapes. That's why every winter, or I guess really in the spring, beginning of the spring before everything starts growing, now is the time, January, February, you'll see all of the vineyards be pruned back, all the way back to the, to the trellis. Because everything that grew out last year will produce nothing. They'll grow new branches off of those old branches and those will produce fruit, but then everything's all tangled up and looks really bad. And they don't get the kind of harvest they want. So the gardener goes through and he prunes everything off. I don't think that's necessarily accurate for the, for the Christian life. I think that 
If we remain dependent on Christ, we, we remain new growth. It's when we allow ourselves to, to fall into our old ruts, to allow the distortion to still be there, that the old excuse me, the old wood um, is there, and it's the part of the it's the part that has to be cut off and pruned away. Maybe, maybe it's anger, or some other Christ-like, unChrist-like tendency that hindering growth, fruit, and and God, the gardener, would like to work with you to prune that stuff out, so that you can have a fuller, healthier, more mature Christian life. There's another picture that I really like. Um, it's it's the picture of God working on us as his masterpiece. And we see it in Ephesians 2, um, verse 10. It says, we, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, when I when I think of a masterpiece, I think of those amazing pieces of work, those art pieces, where the like I think of like Da Vinci and you know big and he makes those big statues. I I, I imagine a sculptor with a chisel and a hammer, and and he is looking over his piece. He's looking over you, and he's picking and he's choosing the different rough spots that maybe need to be shaved off or or maybe completely removed. These pictures are are the perfect illustration of of a lifelong process that we enter into with Christ as we allow him to transform us into the new you. There will be amazing moments of growth and development that leads to tons of production of fruit that God desires in our lives. But there will also be challenging moments when the gardener is needing to do some pruning or the sculptor needs to chisel a rough spot smooth. I truly believe that the more we resist and restrain God in these two roles in our lives, we ultimately hurt ourselves. In the long run, because we no longer are making the choice or we, we no longer are allowing the new creation to exist in us. You see, God will never force us. He'll never coerce us to make the changes or to allow or to chisel anything away without our permission. You must say yes. So, we must make the choice to surrender our will. We must make the choice to be dependent as the branch is dependent on the vine. We must allow the master sculptor to continue the lifelong process of perfecting us. I believe the greatest way to make these to take these steps is to begin every day by laying that day and whatever may come of it at the feet of Jesus and ask him to lead us and to guide us on how we should walk through that day. We should abide in Christ as the branch abides in the vine. Abide really just means exist. We should pray often and about everything. 
We should read our Bibles. And then we will begin to discern and hear the voice of the Spirit in our hearts as Christ is leading us to becoming truly the new you he wants us to be. Now, will you receive this benediction? As you go into your lives this week, remember that God the Father has made you a new creation. And as you abide in the Son, Jesus Christ, may the vine fill you with his strength and his power this week. And finally, may you surrender to the hand of the master gardener or sculptor, whichever image you would like, as he continually shapes you into the truly new you he desires for you. Now as you go, may the Lord bless you, may he keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you and to give you peace. Amen.